We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. the really big barbecue central show a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling originating from the rock and roll hall of fame city of cleveland ohio the barbecue capital of the north Carolina. i am your program host greg rempe happy to have you on your tuesday you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you. It's a phone call in lieu of phone call. It can also be an email in lieu of one or the other. You can do both, and here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Everything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And we were running right up until the end where we begin this show, as I am proud to tell you that the Seton Hill Volleyball Griffins come back on a 2-0 and win in five against California, Pennsylvania. Wow, what a nail-biter that was. And so they continue the winning streak and run into their next and last set of regular season's games on Friday and Saturday. A little IUP and UPJ coming up. So if you're going to be in the Greensburg, Pennsylvania area, I will be there as well. We can have a meetup. It'll be dandy, I swear. Text me. We'll figure it out. On the show this evening, 14 past the hour, the creator, founder, and president, and overall CEO and king of the World Food Championships, Mike McLeod, will be joining us. Get a high-level recap of 2019. We'll also talk specifically about the barbecue operation and some other items as well. 35 past the hour, will find me visiting with first-timer to the show, but I've been a big fan of his for years. Dane Neal from On the Road with Dane Neal. He has a real radio show, and not on some chump radio station either i'm talking about the 750 gigawatt wgn 720 chicago on your am time so we'll be talking with dane after we talk with mike and then we'll move into the second hour and a guy who i thought i was gonna have on quarterly but of course when all responsibility is left to me that means inevitably things will fall apart at some point It's either through my ineptitude or my lack of preparation or my lack of putting things into the calendar or my offending someone at some point. I mean, the list is endless with things that I will do or not do in order to make sure that I screw something up. However, he's agreed to show up a month and a half before the year ends. That is the first ever full-time barbecue editor in this country. Happens to be for Texas Monthly's publication. Daniel Vaughn, 
By the way, Barbecue Central Show Hall of Fame guest, I might add. Class of 2018, the inaugural class. So Daniel will be in at least for a full segment, possibly creeping into a second segment. So if he leaves early and you want to jump in and weigh in on something, more than happy to have you in that regard. All right, plenty to get to here right off the bat. Follow me socially at BBQ Central Show, Instagram, Twitter, slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook. I want to give a quick mention to the Tailgate Guys Barbecue Podcast, a Kansas City-based show. Recently, they did an interview with Darren Worth from Iowa Smokey D's fame. And there's a portion of this interview that I want to rerun for you right now. It's about four minutes long. I did an edit. So I want to jump right in. And if you are a competitor or a person thinking about going into competition, you need to hear this specific clip as it talks about judging in the KCBS right now. And uh, take a listen to this. Hold on a goddamn minute. Take a listen to this. Okay. What the hell are we doing here? That's a thing. That's a thing. Okay, here we go. Well, you mentioned the Jack, and I have to ask you, because I saw a social media post, somebody, and I don't know which category it was, but gave you a five in, in, in a taste. What category was it, and what, what in the world did you think about that? We all know that sport is about hitting the right tables. And the Jack somewhat really brought that to a front. And, you know, I've been kind of working a little bit behind the scenes trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we work on scoring? You know, for instance, they rated the tables of the best highest scoring table to the lowest scoring table from first to 15th in tables on and where you hit. So I get these results back and I hit the 14th lowest table in chicken. I hit the 14th lowest table in ribs. I hit the lowest table in pork and the 10th lowest table in brisket. So, you know, the fact of the matter is as soon as Sherry laid those boxes on the table, I never had a chance from that for, because there was anywhere from a, a 12 point average to a 20 point average difference from mm. first to the last table, you know, and, and it's part when contests are won by tenths of a point, you can't hit a bad table that has a, a an average 15 points lower than the first table. That's part of this sport, but I'm hoping Emily, you know, at KCBS can really drive some change here and figure out, okay, how do we bring some evenness out into that judging and how do we make that better? Because I have a feeling there's just a lot of teams are, don't understand sure. that and really kind of take it personally. And those are the teams that are kind of leaving the sport. And we, we really don't want that. We mm. want it to, we want to be fair judging, and you know we all know that everybody doesn't have the best food every single time. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you fix that? Is there have you got any ideas on how to turn that around? That judging? I think we should leave judging exactly the same that it is. My, my core belief that I have is there's three different systems within the judging mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, when I was trained as a judge in 2003, I was taught everything starts with a nine, only scored out if there's a reason to. And then as you fast forward to 2007, 2008, whenever it was, don't have the exact dates, we introduced a judging system that says, okay, we're going to start with a seven and we're going to go up and down. And then we changed the judging system again saying, hey, we're just going to attach a description to each one of these numbers and I want you to pick that. Well, when I was judged, if it was really good, that's a nine. If in the sevens, if it was good, that's a seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so difference between a nine and a seven, two different judges, they're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're just judging off 
three different systems. I think if we could look at statistically after the fact and kind of bring in some variance. So let's let's bring up the low scoring table statistically based upon that average. So maybe they're going to get some bonus. If you're on a low scoring table, maybe you're going to get some bonus points. Maybe if you're on a high scoring table, we're going to deduct some yeah. points. But you can't lose fact. And where I always get stuck, you can't lose fact is the scoring on a table may have been very high because they may have had very good food yeah. or they may be very low because they had very bad food. So we can't really just instantly take averages and deal with it because you got to deal with there is good food and bad food. But, you know, there's instances... Bobby Stanfield is a classic example. Number one brisket cook in the country in KCBS. He's right next to me at the Jack. He loved his brisket. It was great. 87th place brisket because he hit the 15th place brisket table. The first place on my rib table was 50th. The first place on my pork table was 58th. That's number one on the table. If you hit that table, you were done. I'd say throw away all the numbers and just start writing notes about each deal. (laughs) Just tell me what you thought. Ah, this was way too salty. Ah, it was tough. It was really teach them how that, and I know that takes time. I know that takes time in the judging tent and that's part of the reason that doesn't happen. But you know, it's hard for somebody new to learn that it's hard to guess what the judges are doing. But you know, what I try and do is I try and look at judges averages and I try and look at my beating their average. But the problem with that is currently they're only showing the average score for the judge for the entire day. Well, I really care about their judge for chicken. What was their judge for chicken? Because even on the worst tables, they did like some food and they didn't like some food. And if they like food, it's going to be higher than their average. And on low, it's going to be lower than their average. And I think the answer to the scoring issue falls somewhere in there. It's a matter of figuring out how do we get it done so that it's equitable and fair for everybody. Now, that's a huge point. By the way, thanks to the Tailgate Guys Barbecue Show for letting me rerun that sound. Uh, For all the times that I have become disoriented or confused about why everybody hates judging, this this was very simply put. The best brisket cook in the country finished 85th in brisket at the Jack because he hit the table that scored the worst out of you know out of the fifteenth the fifteenth place table, he was screwed. He was not going to be winning brisket because he hit that table. Very easy to understand. Darren Worth explains it all. If you missed it and you're just tuning into the show, go back and get it in podcast. It'll be ready tomorrow morning. Now there was one other thing that Darren mentioned during this, and everybody that is a competitor should take note. Like really take note. We had a year of fun. You know what? Next year, we're going to have a year of winning. Yeah, we've had a year of fun. Next year, we're going to have a year of winning. You heard it here. Uh, if there's any team that can call their shot and feel really good about having fun in 2019 and having a year of winning in 2020, that's a team I'm going to put money down on, by the way. If Darren Worth is saying that it's going to be a year of winning next year, I might hold off to start my competition career till 2021. Again, thanks to the Tailgate Guys Barbecue Show for letting me rerun that sound that Darren Worth broke down the deficiencies currently, as pointed out at the Jack Daniels a couple weeks ago. Mike McLeod coming up out of the break. I'll talk to you quickly about Green Mountain Grills. I was just talking to somebody about Green Mountain Grills earlier in the day. They said, hey, should I get a Prime? Should I get a Classic? How should I consider sizes I should get? 
Let me tell you a little bit about it. You know, if you want to save a few thin guilders, look at the classic line. One, a prime or a classic Jim Bowie isn't bigger one or the other. They're all the same size. The prime gets you a little sturdier build, gets you a little bit more tech, gets you dual, double the amount of internal meat probes. You get the looking glass in the meat chamber and in the pellet hopper. 12-volt power technology on the Prime line as well. Also, 12-volt technology through the Prime, as I just said. Uh, Jim Bowie, Daniel Boom. Of course, the Davy Crockett is the small one. That's portable. That is the creator or the uh, originator of the 12-volt technology that the Prime line uses now. If you have a family of four or five, you could probably get away with the Daniel Boone. I would recommend going Jim Bowie. Always buy bigger. You have the option. You don't have to cook all of the food all of the time. It's a very efficient cooker. You can make use of a bigger cooker and not have to stuff it full of food each and every time. Don't worry about efficiency and all that crap. If you have any questions, hit the website or call them up. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. Or visit a dealer near you. Look at their dealer locator on the website. They also sell barbecue pellets and sauces and rubs and other accessories. You know what they have. The pizza oven, right? The Jim Bowie and the Daniel Boone will accommodate the pizza oven. Rip the guts out. And now you're having a pizza party. It's so fun. GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. We're back with Mike McLeod after this. Stick around. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Butcher's Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, seasonings, sauces, grilling oils. The list goes on. All of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the circuit as well as backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood. Visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. My next guest, the president, CEO of MMA Creative, also the creator of the World Food Championships. And that is the topic of conversation tonight with some uh, potentially big news. We'll see what he is allowed or not allowed. We will race to the hotline and welcome in. Longtime friend of this show, Mike McLeod. Hey, Mike. Hey, Greg. How are you? I'm absolutely fabulous. Appreciate you making time for the show. So uh, first things first, Mike, before we get into any nifty announcements uh, because of where you're at this evening and then obviously into the World Food Championship, how's fatherhood treating you? Oh, my God. That is a great question. Um, it is keeping me young and making me old at the same time. <laughs> is that a fair statement? <laughs> Someone told me. And they were absolutely right that uh, the days are long, but the years are short. And uh, I can't believe that Tucker is almost already two years old. Uh, every day is, is special and new and uh, enriching to the eyes of, of a child. So I, I'm really enjoying this this chapter of my life and blessed to have it. Uh, Mike, I was confirming with you earlier today that the time slot was going to work and that everything logistically was still going to happen. You had mentioned, uh, and I quote, this is an interesting moment for me, close quote. Is that anything you can elaborate on at the moment? (laughs) 
Yeah, so this is how much I think of you, Greg, and, and your show. Um, I could be eating apple crisp uh, turnover right now with Jennifer Garner. Uh, she's about 150 yards away from me, uh, hosting a big party in Malibu, California, wow. with Walmart. And we're out here with uh, Lydia Hadadian, uh, our recipe champion. She cooked with Jennifer earlier tonight. <laughs> Uh, and we just had a wonderful, wonderful evening, and uh, it, it still goes on. So I'm hoping she doesn't feel like I blew her off just to come hang with you. Uh, I'll, I'll check in on her later about that. Wow. Mike, what can I say? I mean, <laughs> rarely am I speechless. Now, uh, to prove that I am a complete douche, is there any way you can grab her and put her on the phone with me? <laughs> well, if I can get through the three bodyguards that are around her, <laughs> yes. um, maybe. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that, she's, she's, she's got a uh, contingency of people that's very protective and, and um, secure of her time. So. Yeah, well, I would. And, uh, as, she, as she should, you know, at, well, at her, um, her level of stardom. That's right. A great actress and a legendary beauty, at least in my mind, is Jennifer Garner. All right, so or forget about is. all of that. Um, let's yeah. talk 2019 World Food Championships, Mike, and we yeah. are with uh, Mike McLeod. Um, let's just go like from a, a high level right off the top. Like, Where do you rate a 2019 version of World Food Championships versus the years past? What kind of a scale are you giving it? Well, uh, it's hard to answer because there's so many uh, layers of that question in my mind. You know, when I look at it from a strategic standpoint, it was absolutely the most strategic event we've ever done. When I look at it from a, a beauty standpoint, right in the heart of a big city with a backdrop that Dallas provided, uh, it was number one out of everything we've done. When I look at it from media attention, uh, it was number one. When I look at it from a logistics, I go into a cocoon and, and I start, uh, <clears throat> I start getting into my little, um, uh, my own little infant <laughs> uh, child protecting uh, feed because it was tough. It was really, really tough um, to do. And and I know anyone who's there, especially in barbecue or some a steak and some other categories, probably felt some of that toughness with us. But um, it was what we needed. It, it's what World Food Championships and food sport needed, uh, taking it to the next level trying to bring a lot more attention, a lot more um, awareness, a lot more uh, companies into the mix. Uh, we did every bit of that, and we had major, major <clears throat> success with not only Walmart, but with a bunch of other new big thoroughbreds that we hope to be running with in 2020. And um, the machine, uh, the inner workings of the machine in Kitchen Arena just worked fantastically well. I'm, I'm super proud of our our, my team and, and our independent contractors and our ambassadors and our judge coordinators, um, they all just did a fantastic job and, and allowed me to, to put my eye on a few other important bouncing balls. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. Anytime you go to a new, <clears throat> a new city, new location, you, you open up the whole event logistics um, Pandora's box mm-hmm. and we, we had a few of those things uh, that, that bit us on the ankles and sometimes in the other other place in the derriere. Um, but overall, I was extremely happy with, with uh, 319. Mike McLeod joining me here on the show, the creator of World Food Championships, recapping the 2019 version that happened a couple weeks ago. All right, so I'm going to kind of hit you with some things that I had heard or things that were filtered, uh, filtered through to me, and then you can tell me what's true, false, or, or what the uh, the real straight dope is. From an, a, sure. from an attendance standpoint, 
and I'm not talking about competitors, but just from a, a crowd standpoint, is it an event that attracts people? And did you get foot traffic or uh, public facing events to the tune that you were hoping for? Or, or is that not something that you're considering as this goes on? Absolutely. I'm considering it. <clears throat> we did have a, a pretty good foot traffic, not what I wanted, uh, but we ended up having a, a major parking uh, hurdle <clears throat> that popped up about a week prior to the event happening. And, and we didn't know about it with, with the venue site. So that's one of the, one of the reasons we will not be back to that venue, if there's some, some news for you, we're not going to go back to Reunion Tower uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, <clears throat> the, the special events we did, Bourbon Q and Grand Tasting, were, were sellouts, so those were uh, fantastic. Uh, our attendance overall uh, this year versus last year was down uh, a little bit, which is not what we expected uh, because we were in such a big market, but it was so hard to get to uh, Reunion Tower and then if you were lucky enough to find a parking spot, uh, you, you know, you, you could get in. So that was, those were noticeable dominoes that, that happened as we were unfolding the event. Uh, but we still had over 20,000 some people over the course of five days that, that visited World Food Championships. And, um, you know, while that's important, eventually we want it to be 50, 60,000 people. Um, what's more important to us is are the strategic purposes and reasons behind the event and the teams getting there and doing their thing and getting rewarded for it. Uh, our award night programs are great. Um, so lots and lots of checks and a, and a few, uh, a few side slants and a few, uh, uh X's, uh, in the process, but that's, you know, we, we were dealing with six acres, Greg, six acres of property. Wow. Uh, I challenge anybody to, uh, activate six acres of property and, <laughs> Uh, you probably it probably takes uh, uh, hundred thousand people to fill that up. So I know it can it probably looks sparse uh, to certain people at certain times, but we were filling it in all corners. Uh, trust me, because we we uh, we had our thumbprint uh, or thumb on the heartbeat the whole time. Mike, is the parking thing something that is is not availed to you as an issue by the city, or is it overlooked? Like, I mean, that, that does seem to be kind of a an issue you would want to know about well in advance to, to try and either work around it or maybe switch locations. I, I'm going to tell you, just for the sake of being um, protective of, of measures that, that may be in the works for us, um, we there were three parking lots that were supposed to be allocated by the property, the host property prior event, And, uh, two of them got taken away about a week out based on a buyout from another, uh, another convention that was in the hotel. And we did not know about it until it, was after, until it happened. And as you can imagine, uh, as an event promoter who should have had first rights on that first dibs on that, I was not happy about that. No doubt. Uh, so where do we move next year? If it's not going to be at Reunion Tower or Square or whatever it's called, where are you going to be at next year? There's two places uh, in Texas we'd already or in Dallas that we'd already looked at and, and, and chosen not to go there uh, because we thought Reunion Tower was going to be ideal. One is State Fair. Um, they have phenomenal parking, phenomenal facilities. It just would push us back into uh, probably the first week of November because of the State Fair. It doesn't end until um, – early, well, in mid-October. So we wouldn't be able to do our event while the state fair is going on, and they, we have to give them time to tear down. Mm-hmm. So that's that's option one. Option two, there's a place called Market Hall 
uh, in in Dallas, downtown Dallas, that uh, hosts a lot of big events. They host the Taste of Dallas. They host a major boat show and things like that. And there's plenty of parking there too, and a lot of Hilton hotels around that property. So those are the two I'm looking at right now, and already deep into conversations about what are the ideal dates, what are the um, hiccups, what are the hurdles, et cetera, et cetera. So let me ask you just off the cuff, is it more important for the World Food Championships to maintain a consistency in date, or is it more important to sacrifice a consistency in date in order to have a better venue? And I'm asking this question from a American Royal standpoint, and I think you know where I'm going with that. It's moved... Uh, venues on a, a number of times. It's moved, uh, moved dates a number of times to the point where people started uh, complaining that, hey, it's now falling in Labor Day or I can't uh, figure out where I'm going to put it on my calendar, so I'm going to skip it. Like They're skipping the biggest uh, event during the course of a barbecue season. Yeah, so I think um, that's a really good question. For us, it's, it's about getting the venue right and then ultimately settling in on that venue and that date. Uh, forevermore. Remember, we've only done eight of these. Yep. If uh, if I were the Royal uh, or the Jack or Memphis and May, <clears throat> going through four or five venue changes in the last six seven years, I, I would I'd be really concerned about that. Uh, for us, it's a little bit different. You know, we everyone uh, watched us move. Um, we've been uh, in Vegas. We had two different locations in Vegas. Uh, we've been to Florida tried that didn't work so we we found another uh, avenue and then we were at the same location in orange beach uh the same location in orange beach really <clears throat> um only benefited us operationally and logistically mm. it didn't benefit us from a con- consumer attendance standpoint because we pretty much got every human being that ate food to come out to a world food championships in orange beach um but it's not it ultimately it's not what we need to have a uh, have major sponsors on board who are looking for both the the industry influencers but also consumers to do sampling with. So we have to find the right venue. And if that pushes us back into the first weekend of November or something like that, so be it. You know, I I thought that <clears throat> this year, uh, being the week before the Jack or being the week after Jack would be would be a, a good weekend choice uh, strategically for international teams. And it turns out that there just wasn't a coupling there. There wasn't a strategic way to help or to get teams to stay longer or come in earlier. And so now I'm not going to worry about that anymore. You know, we'll have international teams uh, come to us because we want to, based on our date, not because they happen to be in Tennessee uh, at the Jack either the weekend before or weekend after. It's no longer a part of my thinking. Mike McLeod joining me here on the show. Uh, Mike, uh, let's talk categories for a second is there a popular or a most popular category of all the segments that end up making up the top 10 is there one that you see most participation in 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 so between like uh, yeah so like uh, between burger and chili and recipe and chef is, is there one of those that gets the most entrance well uh over the last couple of years it, yes it's been steak um, but of course we limit, we have to limit burger and other categories and burger would be, uh, has always been a sellout. Uh, it, I think it would be number one if I had no limitation on it, hmm. but steak has been number one for the last couple of years. Barbecue has always been a, a pretty good number. 
always been 50 or more teams uh, until this year. I think we ended up settling in about 43, 42, 43 teams. Uh, we limited it to 50 because we had, again, we had um, logistic limitations uh, where we where we went, and we thought it was going to look cool to ring. And it was. It looked cool to, to ring our event grid with barbecue. It's probably the closest barbecue had ever been. Um, Orange Beach, it, it surrounded two perimeters, but in, in Dallas, it surrounded all sides. So <clears throat> um, barbecue, you know, we started out barbecue being number number one as far as attendance mm-hmm. because there was no limitation to it. Uh, I, I had 40 kitchen sets or other divisions, and that's where we cap it. But um, I, I, I think those three are the key. But I tell you, if anyone's really paying attention to what's going on in the World Food Championships, we're seeing... You know, the bacon category, the recipe yep. category, the yep. dessert category, all these other categories are popping up, man. They're they're strong in and of themselves. There's not I, I think probably the weakest category, uh, to be honest with you, is is um uh, is chef. Hmm. And and that's pri- primarily because it's it's such a long and hard grind for a working chef. Um to come spend five, six, seven days at the World Food Championships. Um so all the categories are pretty strong in and of themselves. All right, so let's take the barbecue category. This is a barbecue and uh, grilling-based show. So, uh, And if I'm making too bold of a statement, back me down. But, you know, you had said uh, 40 or so teams. Uh, when I was looking up individual uh, categories, there was an IBCA portion. There was an EAT portion. I think there were like 30 or so teams uh, in the uh, IBCA portion. And... I mean, in Texas, right? You're you're in the epicenter of IBCA country, and if you have thirty or thirty five teams, and then you fast forward a week, uh, so this past weekend there was an IBCA event in Waxahachie, Texas. There were two hundred and eighty five teams. Now, granted, I understand that you say you, you know you cap teams, but if you're not maxing it out, do ultimately we look at the barbecue section? And you've had a long history in barbecue, and there was. Uh, a relationship with KCBS, and you know there was a lot of good context made there over uh, you know ten years or so. Is it about time we take barbecue to the back of the shed and put this dog down in the end of the day here? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're you're really trying to make some use. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at barbecue pretty hard for <clears throat> numerous reasons. Um, obviously, there's a land grab issue. Yeah. And, and barbecue, it takes a lot of space, and that has been limiting for us for many, many years, or almost every year. Um, number two, uh, I do see a lot of um, downward trends in barbecue, uh, just in number of participating participating teams overall at, yep. at many of them. <clears throat> uh, and I see, you know, the growth popping in other areas, not other categories. But it it's going to be hard for me to let go of barbecue. Uh, period, because of Tony Stone. Tony Stone is the guy who brought me into this whole food sport arena. He was a barbecue nut. He's a mentor of mine. He was a mayor of my city. And uh, he's the one who first uh, coaxed me into even considering going into competition food. So as long as I'm breathing and and um, sometimes smiling, I you know I I believe there's a there's going to be a place for barbecue at World Food Championships now. Will that morph into something else? I'll tell you something that we really, really enjoyed this year. And it, it was a limited situation working with the National Barbecue League. You know, ten, they brought 10 guys in and had their own competition within the competition. Mm-hmm. And they helped us pull off an event called Bourbon Cube 
and it was absolutely a home run uh, for the event. Uh, as far as just a fun evening, great barbecue, great great pit masters, you know Johnny Trigg and Tim Shear and Fred Robles. I mean, maybe it's not about quantity anymore, Greg. It's, it's probably more about quality. And if if I do anything as far as cutting back on barbecue, it's probably going to be uh, a step in the in the invitational direction where I just invite the top 10 or top 20 barbecue teams in America based on some parameter. Mm -hmm. And we leave it at that. Um, We still awarded over $30,000 of prize money, which is three X what they pay. If you you do the simple math, um, we had 42, 43 total teams paying $300 pop. Um, So you got 12 grand. And you look at a guy like me paying out, uh, around thirty thousand dollars in prize money, mm-hmm. that math doesn't add up anyway. So, I, I, I am looking at it. I'm thinking through it. Um, I really enjoyed working with the National Barbecue League. I hope that they enjoy working with us. And uh, I, I think there's there's something to be said for that. If we end up going to a location like the State Fair, where we could put a hundred, two hundred teams in play, we may make another stab at it. Mm. I mean, we do may you th- take another. Do you think you would get two hundred teams? Do you think you would get two hundred teams of interest if you had a, the the land available? Uh, I think we could if we did did a lot harder marketing. We we didn't do a whole lot of marketing for barbecue in mm-hmm. Texas, and there's a whole lot of IBCA teams that don't know who we are or what we what we what we're about. But after this year, they can't say that. There's a whole lot of uh, of discussion and buzz going on in Texas about World Food Championships because now a lot of people are saying, "Oh, I didn't really think you were. I didn't know what you were." <laughs> and of course, you ha- you always have to do that when you go into a community. You have to show them what it is, and you can tell them all day long, but you got to show them at the end of the day. But I, I think we could get a big IVCA contingency, um, and we we will take that into consideration based on the venue choice that we make in the next. Uh, 30, 45 days. Uh, Mike, I'm going to give you a even better idea, free of charge, and we know all, and we know what we say when we offer free advice. You get what you pay for. We remove <laughs> barbecue. Free advice I can get right now. <laughs> Here we go. We remove barbecue and we add pizza. Everybody loves pizza. Come on, that's a winner. You know that's a winner. That would be, but you know there is a there's a great national pizza contest uh, that exists. It's in Vegas every year, and I I went to it. We we almost started with pizza, and then I saw what uh, the National Pizza Federation or whatever it is. Uh, I saw what they were doing, and I thought, nah, you know, I don't want to try to top that. They're doing a good job with it, so didn't want to interrupt it. But <clears throat> you're right. I mean, pizza is a, a fun category, but there's other categories. I mean, category topics or category focus is not the problem. The problem in our world is just running a massive tournament that's mm-hmm. a Rubik's Cube of coloring competition. I mean, if you, if you think a barbecue contest with four turn-ins is a, is a big, sticky wicket, you need to come check us out because you haven't seen anything. Uh, we run three, three flights a day, uh, up to 40 contestants in each flight. We do that uh, three days in a row, and then we go to the top 10 finals for one more challenge. It's five days of food insanity, man. Um, so adding an 11th category or 12th category or 13th category, which we know we could do, um, has been on the hold button, uh, for a while because we knew we were going to have to leave orange beach. Didn't want to, but we knew we had to ultimately to get to a a big Metroplex. And 
we couldn't add a new category in Dallas when we, we knew we were going to face logistical uh, hurdles that we didn't even know of yet, which happened. Um, so as we look into 2020 and 2021, I think you're going to start seeing some interesting things happen with us as far as expansion uh, and perhaps category changes. All right, uh, we will keep our eye on that. It is worldfoodchampionship.com. That's the website. We're talking with Mike McLeod. Mike, please race right into Jennifer Garner and give her my best <laughs> regards. Tell her to sign up for the podcast, all that stuff. And if she ever wants to be a guest I, on the show, you know, I mean, I, I hope I can use you and count on you as the conduit. Yeah, I, I certainly will open that door for you. You have 60 more seconds. Yeah, go ahead. So there is one thing I want to share with you. Uh, which the industry needs to be aware of. One of the things that we know is challenging for barbecue is that they have to come in on a Tuesday and wait all week until what they think is their contest, even though we do ancillary. Right. Have, try to have fun and, and let them <laughs> in, uh, make extra money. <clears throat> um, we're changing the format in 2020, no matter what. The opening rounds in 2020 are now going to be on the weekend. They're going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to finally mirror... <laughs> the consumer days with the opening round days when we're at full mass in competition, we're going to be at full mass with activation <laughs> for consumers. And then we're going to start shrinking on Monday and Tuesday when the top 10. So if you think about that, what it does for a team is it allows them to take less time off from work unless they make the top 10. And then they're happy to take an extra day or two off. Always, work. always. Beca because they know in the money, Right. So that is a format change that is coming um, in 2020. The, the first day of competition, competition will be on a Friday. It will not be on a Wednesday. All right. You heard it here, yes. hopefully, first that the, the uh, is. this is an unveiling as far as format is concerned for barbecue. So if that's something that's been sticking in your craw and you still want to get after it in 2020, and this is going to be right up your alley. And we're talking with Mike McLeod, creator of the World Food Championships. Mike, always appreciate the time, my friend. Same here, Greg. Have a good night. You got it. There he is, Mike McLeod. Please uh, kiss Jennifer Garner for me. What? Uh-oh. Don't do that. Let me do that. <laughs> All right, we're over, but that was very good stuff. Mike McLeod revealing two things. On the show this evening, they are moving venues. I did hear about that. That was one of my questions. I heard rumblings on, although they have not nailed down a place yet. It's either going to be at the fairgrounds or what's it called? Manset Hall or Magnet Hall. So we'll see how that shakes out. And new format for barbecue. We'll start on Friday and go through Saturday, Sunday. There you go. Hmm. Yeah. Do that next. Up next is Dane Neal, WGN Radio, on the road with Dane. Maybe he's got some things to react to from the conversation with Mike McLeod. Uh, get his take on World Food Championships. Then we'll talk Chicago, of course. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. 
This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com to purchase as well. By the way, conversation that I had with Chris Becker last week in regards to Pellet Soaking 2019. Yeah. A lot of great reaction to that. A lot of people asking me questions outside of the show as well, as far as pellets are concerned. Hey, my next guest can be heard each Saturday from 2 to 4 Central on the Mega Blowtorch that is known as WGN 720 in Chicagoland with his show On the Road with Dane Neal, a lover of live fire, barbecue, grilling, and eating in general, and what a town to be a fan of food in. Chicago slotted in as my second favorite city currently, second only to Indianapolis, of course. Here to talk some live fire topics and some of the best places to eat in Chicago, if you're going to be there, is first-timer to the show, Dane Neal. Hey, Dane. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? I'm absolutely fabulous, my friend, and great to have you here on the show. So we welcome you into the friendly confines of the Barbecue Central Show. And, wow, I love it. A little homage to, to Wrigley on the uh, Friendly Confines reference, and I'm excited. i got to tell you, as a, as a first-timer here, as a big fan of the program, big fan of you and what it is that, that you do, I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's certainly my pleasure, Dane, and I'm happy that we're able to finally get together here and connect. So for the folks that uh, maybe aren't familiar with Dane Neal specifically and on the road with Dane Neal, um, maybe a little background about you and uh, perhaps if you've always been involved in communications and radio. Well, okay, sure. So 20-plus years uh, in radio and kind of the traditional radio side of things. Of course, podcasting huge. Now we do a certain amount of that as well. But started in in radio on uh, here in Chicago and on the food side, you know, uh, creating restaurant radio. America that aired on 65 stations around the country covering the places and personalities of the food scene. Uh, so anybody that you, you know, as far as like Food Network or Master Chef or Top Chef or a lot of those personalities we've had on, have as friends, many in the barbecue world, you know, we have as as, uh, as fellow uh, colleagues and friends in the world of, uh, of live fire and, and barbecue. And, and so on the radio side there and stations around the country on the syndicated side, did a bunch of uh, auto racing stuff too, so a, kind of an odd combination there, as well as like regular, you know, morning drive, afternoon drive, a bunch of different uh, things there. And then, as far as home base, Chicago has been the home base, although we've, um, you know, been at different events around the country and certainly on stations around the country. But WGN here in Chicago, for those people familiar, even if you're not from Chicago, it's you know it's one of the bigger, older stations in the country, reaching. Uh, like 38 states in Canada at night, the greater Midwest at all times. So it's, if you're going to pick a station to be on with some great history, um, WGN is not a, not a bad place to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Dane, what's the biggest misconception that people have about if somebody has a radio show or not? The biggest misconception? Yeah. If someone has a radio show... Um, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The, um, uh, I don't know that you get concert tickets to everything, but you always have a backstage pass. Maybe that's it. Maybe that, that everybody in radio is like, is super wealthy. It's just not the case. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. What, what do you think? Well, what, so maybe this coming from you as a guy who is, is I think every bit of the radio personality, especially in the, in the barbecue and food world 
as anybody in the country. What are some, what are some either misconceptions or, or stereotypes or things that you have that we could dispel right here? Oh, show? well, I mean, I certainly agree with you 100% on the uh, whole wealth thing. Uh, I mean, uh, I had once read an article recently that, completely dispelled the riches myth of podcasting. And basically, there was a very small singular percentage of folks. And these are folks who, so for instance, a Joe Rogan, a Mark Maron, uh, Tim Ferriss, like these are guys that are mega popular on their own already. Yeah. And then they have these huge podcast audience. Now, I mean, the shows themselves, uh, if you're into their content, are, are really good. Like Joe Rogan is a, is a really good broadcaster, or I would say... I find his interview technique to be pretty disarming, and that's why he's successful, and he can get yeah. away with, with what he's doing. But he is so far in the smallest percentile of successful podcasts. So if you think you can start a pod, like you in general can just start a podcast, and the money is going to start rolling in, that's misconception number one by far, like far and away, that you're just going to do a podcast and you're going to start making money. And then second, I think if... You have a podcast and you have some kind of following, uh, and th- maybe I'm a little bit more conscious about this than the other stuff, is that somehow you are elevated to a expert's position. And I might be an expert in some things, but I can get out of my depths on a lot of things very quickly. So I never try to position myself especially as a food expert by any stretch of the imagination. I'm always happy to point out that I talk with experts. I position my show as I'm the ESPN of the live fire industry. I'm going to talk to the experts. I'm going to ask them questions, and we're all going to learn together. But don't necessarily pitch me or pigeonhole me as some type of expert. That makes me very uncomfortable. Do you feel similar? Yeah, exactly. And I I think of you, Greg, and this show is kind of like the – the breaking news of barbecue, giving kind of the live situation on a weekly basis of what's happening and the personalities out there. And I like to think of myself and probably based on what you just said is kind of a conduit yep. to the experts and a conduit to the entertainer and the people that you really want to hear from, you know, we'll have them on, we'll channel them in, in a real live way and then have, have them. On. I think of myself as an enthusiast. I'm not a restaurant critic, but, um, but we highlight the, you know, the personality, some of those great stories, and certainly that great information and knowledge from uh, of people in, in the food world. So I agree. It's kind of it's kind of like that. Of course, I think just by nature of what it is that you do on a regular basis, you're going to just you know compile some information. Mm-hmm. And so you may you know people are consistently asking, okay, so what do you like or where do you want to go or well, sure, I've got thoughts, you know. But um, but you're right. You know, I'm not Stephen Reichlin, You know, but we'll have him on on a regular basis, just like you. Uh, Dane Neal joining me here on the show. You can find him Saturdays from 2 to 4 Central on WGN 720. That's com, I believe. Uh, and you can hear him on the road with Dane as he talks live fire and also auto racing and some other items. Um, Dane, let's talk a little bit about the Chicago barbecue or, or live fire scene. And there there is history there. There's rib tips. There's aquarium cookers. There's Lem's barbecue. Yes. I mean... There is a specific Chicago-based barbecue um, niche there, but how are you seeing it? You know, taking it from let's say a Lems or a Rib Tips or, or those kind of cookers and fast-forwarding it to 2019. How have you seen the growth, and how does it look now? Well, I think just like in a lot of different places, barbecue is is kind of in a renaissance, right? It's kind of becoming more 
not only more popular, it's always been popular, but kind of more publicly popular. And I think where a lot of people are understanding, you know, some of the, the extra things that you can do, whether it's the smoking or whether it's some of the extra equipment with the Kamados and the fellow smokers, the average person is getting involved. And certainly Chicago is, is a big, you know, smoking and grilling town, regardless of the weather. You know, we had, I think we we're at eight degrees today mm. with uh, some places, negative 10 with the wind chill. Uh, you can bet there's some people out there kind of smoking and grilling. So I think here's the thing with Chicago is, and I think with any place is that you sort of get an identity, you know, and with us, maybe it's, uh, you know, occasional sports success, architecture, rampant crime, uh, political corruption. You know, these are things that we know, we accept, you know, and we embrace. On the barbecue side, there's a lot more going on, um, I think, at a high level than we get credit for. And part of it is because it's such a big city and it's known for, for lots of things. You know, whereas maybe some of the smaller kind of regions or areas, barbecue is is really one of the main things that they're really, really proud of. Because you think about... So you've got, like, you know, Barry Sorkin from Smoke, great stuff. You've got Charlie McKenna, you know, Lily's Q, they're doing some great stuff. you even got some great, you know, barbecue personalities that come from Chicago, whether people know it or not. You know, Dave Anderson from Famous Dave's. Yep. You've got Ray Lampy, you know, a devoted Chicago. Granted, he's uh, moved on to better weather, but he's in Chicago all the time. Uh, you know, Dave Ram, Sweet Baby Ray's, so the, the barbecue sauce, yep. whether, you, whether you're a huge fan of it, um, there certainly are a lot, 40% of the market share. So there's a lot happening um, in Chicago. I was actually, I got an opportunity a few years ago to MC the, the great Chicago barbecue tour where we visited a lot of those places like, you know, Honey One and Lens. And you got the aquarium smokers and all of that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of like regular traditional uh, barbecue and barbecue personalities that are doing it uh, kind of in a big in a big way on a regular basis right here. Dane, one of the other food items. So to me, Chicago is uh, Chicago-style barbecue. Then you have the tourist trap of deep-dish pizza. But the other yeah. item that everybody raves about is this Italian beef. So, you know, Greg, you yep. say it like it's some sort of exotic like animal or, or a plant or something. This thing, <laughs> how you say, the Italian beef. This thing called the, the Italian beef. <laughs> but the Italian beef only seems to have this... Um, c- celebratory status in Chicago. I mean, certainly you can make it anywhere or probably have it anywhere, but it seems to live and breathe its best in Chicago. Why is that? Well, I think there's some kind of indigenous delicacies that are really just people get brought up, you know, accepting and they have some sort of romantic attachment to it. But mm. if you bring in people from out of, t- it's really not that good. It doesn't have that kind of traveling power, staying power. Uh, I'll contend beyond the deep dish pizza that the Italian beef is really kind of a sleeper dark horse. Um, I think it's got all the potential in the world and, and more so than people kind of link it to its, its distant cousin. If you do a 23 and me slightly related to sort of the Philly cheesesteak, but the Italian beef is, is, is great. And I think when you get people in and you have them try it, it can be, I don't want to say it's a religious experience, but people have one of those. I didn't know it could be like this. Mm. Uh, moments if it's done well if it's done well so there's there's different versions so in Chicago the original is is Bona Beef they're the ones who created you got Al's Beef it's sort of like a genesis moment kind of like a, a deep dish pizza side where there's a, a few families that got together then they sprouted off and became sort of leaders in the industry and you're going to see I'm going to predict it you know that uh, let's say a Bona Beef is going to be able to go ahead and take the Italian beef the Chicago style Italian beef 
regardless of how you like it, whether you want it, you know, dipped or you want the, the jardinier, you want the, you know, the, the mozzarella, however you want to do it, um, is going to be something you're going to see in places all over the country, hmm. even in Cleveland. Really? I think so. I really think so. Now, did you get, when you were in here and we had an opportunity to play host to the one and only, uh, Greg Remby, did you get a chance to, to try? I mean, I know you were doing a lot of stuff, certainly the barbecue recon, um, did you get a chance to try the beef? No, I didn't get a chance to do beef, but I, I mean, that Sunday I was racing around to all the, not the, the tourist spots, but all the spots that I had been kind of cultivating through experts uh, in Chicago that said, oh, if you're going to get barbecue, you should go here and not there. And if you're going to go get pizza, you should go here and go there. And of course, I had the, uh, the that burger at uh, Ogival and just happened to go yeah. at the right time. And certainly that was a, a wonderful experience. Chicago is a great food town. I went to RPM Steakhouse on a, on, a, on on one of those evenings as well. That was kind of a life changing experience, both from a steak and it was great, and also my wallet took a fantastic hit. Life changing experience. Yeah. But you know, once a once in a while, no big deal. I mean, what are the what what do you are finding to be like the hottest, food, regardless of culinary or cuisine? What are the hottest food spots that you know of that people are talking about around Chicago right now? Ooh, um, well, one is just, and I'm not sure if you guys have them in Ohio, but this just opened yesterday. I was at the sort of preview thing, um, on Saturday It's Cooper's Hawk. So Cooper's Hawk is at the winery and restaurant. And they're in a bunch of different cities. They get 40 locations now, I think 41 now. Hmm. And again, if I'm going to pull out my, my uh, culinary crystal ball and say like, this is something that is going to be, it already is big. So this isn't. You know, I'm not really making too much of the leap on the prediction side, but um, so they just opened their their first location in the city proper, and it's a, it's a winery and restaurant. And I've you know, like I said, I've broadcast live from the Aspen Food and Wine Classic in New York City and South Beach and all sorts of different places where the wine scene is is kind of accepted uh, as kind of pretentious and stuffy. It can yep. be yep. less approachable, and their whole thing is to make wine approachable, that there aren't necessarily as many rules with it, whatever it is that you like, but they're making wine that is rated really high. They were at the the Oscars. They were, I think, at the, at the Emmys. They have like super high-rated wines. I think it's the 27th biggest winery right now. thing is, it started right in the Chicagoland area, wow. which is not known. I don't know. I don't have my globe out, but I know that it's not, <laughs> you don't want to be accepted and recognized wine centers of the world. And so they're really making, they've got a a wine club with like 500,000 members in the wine club. They do travel. So what they're doing is bringing people that, that are open to the idea of liking wine and kind of, you know, making it approachable and making it fun. They're making some great food too. So that's one thing. It's, and that place is going to have, even though it's not, you got to think about this is they had at that opening, you had so many of the fine dining stars of Chicago that you would think of like, well, Hey, this is a chain. This is, you know, but you had the guys from the Boca Group. You had Joe Flam, who just won Top Chef. You had oh. even on the beef side, you had some uh, some hot dog, a Chicago hot dog and beef. Where Dick Portillo yep. was there, yep. so there were tips of the cap from all over the place. So that's one place. Um, and then you've got you know Alinea. You know you've got you know Grand X. These the girl and the goat with with Steph Isaac's place. You know Rick Bayless is always an attraction. You know yep. whereas maybe twenty years ago it was Charlie Trotters, and now. There's lots of places to see. Dane, let me ask you before I let you go, and I appreciate the time this evening, about the, is it the 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 smoke down? Is that the one that's held at the racetrack? 
it was the, the BBQ Smokedown at yep. Chicagoland Speedway. We, we have quite a few things that are happening. Some exciting stuff is going to be going on. I think a little bit after Thanksgiving, we'll be making some announcements as far as the personalities that are there, some uh, some uh, you know great sponsors and partners that are going to be involved, the, the, the prize dollars, and all sorts of really cool stuff. It was um, something that hadn't been done before, uh, at least in, in this area, to bring the uh like uh, during a race weekend a nascar race weekend and bringing in some of the biggest personalities uh in barbecue we had myron mixon and ray lampy and chris Lilly and yeah. uh famous dave was there there was a bunch of uh and the 40 teams 40 some of the top teams in the country were there some of our great teams from the chicago area uh with, uh, with steamboat and you know getting based was there and shake and bake and uh, there's a bunch of different great teams that participated in integrating it into into the NASCAR race where the, the barbecue hall of famers were in on the driver's meeting were in on the, uh, the driver's introductions. Um, so there was a lot of great connections. So we're, you know, kind of smoothed out some of the bumps in the road there, but just super well, um, received. And now you've, of course you've had Emily on Emily Detweiler from yep. KCBS and she's, you know, um, enterprising and, and, and has some really exciting things. And so we're going to build, uh, them into some of these things too, but I'm, I'll keep you guys posted. Obviously it's going to be a week earlier. It's going to be June, I think the uh, 19th to the 21st, but it's going to be, it's going to be great. And hopefully, you know, Greg, you can come out and be a part of it too. Well, we will uh, see what, I mean, you know, me and traveling Dane, right? I mean, it's like one of my favorite things ever. <clears throat> First class. However, it's, it's pretty close. I mean, the plane rides even closer. So Chicago, and it's my second favorite city. So I never want to just immediately disqualify like I would, uh, like every other city, but it's definitely a, it's, it's a firm maybe for sure. It's not Topeka, Kansas, and we'll lure you out. Maybe right, we'll have that right. great kind of uh, Italian beef meetup. We'll do that as part of a program. All right. I like the way this is sounding, and we're talking with <laughs> Dane Neal. You can find him at WGN720.com, and Saturdays from 2 to 4 Central, he is on the road with Dane Neal, first-timer here to the Barbecue Central Show, but definitely will be coming on again, hopefully regularly. This is Dane Neal. Dane, appreciate the time, my man. Thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there he is, Dane Neal, first-timer into the show. And again, you can check him out on his own real... Oh, no. Big name interviews, yeah. advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only uh, host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Maybe I do need to look into getting a producer. These other fancy people running around with producers. Uh, this portion of the show is being brought to you by Southside Market, established in 1882, oldest barbecue joint in Texas. They do the beef sausage, all the other sausages too, by the way. On-site USDA inspected facility, two restaurants for you to try, Elegant, Texas since 1882, and Bastrop, Texas since 2014. 10% off coupon online. When you use code BBQ Central, that's BBQ. C-E-N-T-R-A-L, BBQ Central, all one word. Get 10% off your purchase when you visit SouthsideMarket.com. All right, uh, that was Day Neal. We'll be back to recap this first hour when we come back. You are listening to the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network.